You are now entering the MXU podcast. No credentials required. What is up, everybody? Welcome to episode 46 of the MXU podcast. My name is Jeff Sandstrom. I'm here with Lee Fields, and we are just happy that you join us today. How you doing, buddy? I'm good, and I'm not going to say 46. Wow. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. Don't do it. Don't even, don't even think it. I'm not even thinking it. Nope, that's funny. You know what is significant about 46? It's about uh, the number of channels that a large church actually needs on a console, even though they buy an SD7, an SSL, a PM10. <laughs> that's about the number they only needed. So you don't need 146. You just need 46. No. I saw uh, on Facebook this morning, uh, Eric Chancy posted, what's up with these 500-seat churches buying SD7s? <laughs> Ooh. And I commented on there. I haven't went back to check. And I said something like, I don't know who's more to blame. And it's not just Digico. This is not a Digico thing at all. It's, no, not at all. It's not a, you bought a $200,000 console and you have no business doing that conversation. Yeah. I don't know who's more to blame. The TD, the pastor, or the sales guy who was formerly selling car vehicles in Boise, Idaho. We can't pick on Boise again. Why not? We've done that already. Why not? <laughs> well, because we just endeared ourselves to the muffler shop in Boise last time. Now we can't okay. we can't slam the used car dealer across the street. Okay, what's the stereotypical <laughs> Midwest city with shysty car dealers? I feel like that should be I like think all of them. Wichita? Ooh, that's a good one. Wichita. 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 Great people. Great churches. Yeah. Yeah. Horrible, horrible used car dealers. Horrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's like polyester pants and a big white belt. Yeah. yeah. Where was uh, Napoleon Dynamite filmed? Oh, that wasn't that like... Um, it was Idaho. See? Idaho, it yeah. It was. It was Boise. <laughs> <laughs> it actually was Boise can't. Boise can't catch a break. No, That's I funny. like Boise and their blue football field. Yeah. Anyway, so back, back to, to the, the con- point. Yeah, consoles. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know who's so, more to blame. I think I think it's a combination. Uh, in some respect, I'm not sure the pastor is even aware. So the blame that they would face is probably they shouldn't be ignorant about what their production director is doing yeah. <laughs> or recommending. Yeah. Um, but I think it's a combination of an audio director or a tech director who just gets enamored with the bright shiny new toys and goes to a trade show and sees the booth and wants the biggest fastest best thing that he thinks is going to fix his mix but his mix is actually the problem it's not the gear right um so that's one thing another thing is the salesperson just not approaching things from any sort of stewardship perspective at all they're just looking at how can i make a sale but they're a church relations partner jeff some of them are that's that's a true statement. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I think I think it is a problem for sure. I I can probably count on one hand the churches in this country who really need an SD seven. Yeah, and I think there's more of them. It's happening more. Yeah, the churches that probably. actually need them, especially with you know what sends it over the edge for me is actually when video grows. 
Like that's when we see the need for IO to grow and put you in a different yeah. class of console. Yeah. It's like, oh, now we have 36 channels of comm that need matrix and we got to use a console right. to do it. Like, okay, like that's legit. Or I'm working with a church that we put PM tens in, but they're all the time, like two fully mic'd drum kits you know, mm-hmm. 12 singers. It's like 24. Hosting big conferences. Yeah, 24 They're, stereo mixes every week. Like yeah, that, I'm like, yeah. okay, there's... Well, the good news is there's consoles that are getting... That that are cheaper that will also do some of that stuff now. Right. So that's a good thing too. One thing about Digico, I mean, not to single out the SD7, but I think through the SD7's architecture, some of that capability has trickled down into their lower yeah. price point, smaller frame consoles. So for example, you know, the IO count just because of DSP power and the way that the network can handle that infrastructure, they're able to pack more features into a smaller frame. So you're able to get on an SD5, for example, or an SD12, a lot more than you used to be able to. Yeah. So I think that in that respect, it's a good thing yeah. because when they build that feature set into their flagship console, it's like any technology product, right? You know, over time, those features and that capability is bound to filter through the whole product line. Yeah. So that's a good thing. Um, and, the, think, and the SD7 is really two consoles. Like it's, it has a redundant right. DSP, which is, right. I don't think any other company has that. Yeah, that B engine. I could be wrong, but you know, I think that's yeah, it. that's that's a huge that's a huge deal. Well, speaking of consoles, we want to talk a little bit about the other end of the spectrum because I just got an email, literally when we started this call, from MXU of all people. Oh yeah, did announcing? You, did you open it? I did. It's uh, it's announcing a little thing that you did. Um, Basically, we challenged you to create a mix in 32 minutes on the X32. Yes. And so for guys who haven't seen this, go to MXU now and stay tuned to watch Lee's approach to creating a great mix with an X32. We've never really done console-specific content before. We get a lot of questions about, yeah, well, you use a PM10 in your thing. What about my little console? Well, this is a good example of you know sometimes the tools are irrelevant when you when you focus on good best practices in terms of just organization workflow gain structure using the tools that you have to create something really good so it's a 32 minute video on a 32 minute mix on the x32 I haven't even listened to it yet. I, I'm told by Spencer and Scotty that it sounds good, and they didn't edit the audio after, so it's just right off the console. Um, back to what you're saying. You know, people tell you, like, hey, don't listen to your critics. But we have had some critiques on, well, MXU is not really great for small churches because they only use expensive equipment. It pissed me off when I hear that. It pisses yeah. me off because... We've ne- like you just said, we've never done gear specific videos ever, not right. once. It, like if we're on an SSL console talking about compression, I think people have a hard time understanding that literally every word that we used in that video applies to an X32. 
it was about compression, not about compression on an SSL. Right. And the other thing people don't realize is that in a lot of our 101 videos that we did, basics on EQ, basics on compression, yeah. basics on signal flow was done on a Yamaha TF5. Yeah, my point is it's not a $100,000 console. No, no, it's not. So I'm stoked about this video. I'm going to watch it as soon as we end this recording. And you Good. should watch it too on MXU Now. And those listening should watch it. If they're not subscribed, they need to go do that. This is a 30-day trial. And if your whole team wants to watch it, go sign your team up. And you get a lot more cool stuff too with teams. Definitely. Anyway, so what have you been mixing on? So I'm actually mixing some tracks that were recorded into Pro Tools. Um, it's for a live recording that we're producing for um, a college music department. And so I'm taking the tracks out of Pro Tools and basically mixing through LV1 so that I can have access to my Waves uh, SoundGrid server and all of the workflows that I'm accustomed to in LV1. And I got one of their new Fit controllers. So it's basically a 16-channel uh, fader bank that integrates with LV1 through MIDI. So I'm going to do a little video later on today just walking everybody through the workflow because I'm really pleased with it. I think it's fun. That's and awesome. It's better than the eight fader ones they had before, right? It definitely is, yeah. And it's, you know, everything, everything that you see on the mixer view of the screen is mapped automatically to the fit controller, or you can have it be a standalone thing. So you could have one bank of faders on screen, a different bank of faders on the fit, and you know, you've got rotary control for gain and pan, you've got uh, solo and mute buttons, you've got obviously faders, you've got all the layers, all the utility stuff, tap tempo, all those things, user-defined keys, all that stuff is at your fingertips. That's awesome. In a hardware, gooey so it's great you're almost not a dj anymore is what you're saying almost you're so close almost. i'm about to sell my turntables that's awesome <laughs> i'm glad they're starting to do hardware are they making the hardware so it's made by it's a partnership between waves and midi plus okay which it, it's got their branding on it too how cool would it be if a console manufacturer allocated surface space for MIDI control. Like, like if you had a section of like these six faders and 12 encoders are, were totally assignable. Like a built-in MIDI keyboard yeah. into the desk itself. Yeah. That would be very cool. With scribble strips. That'd be cool. Yeah, Digico. Yeah, Digico. You're the ones that would do it. Yamaha right. wouldn't do it. They're too slow. No. It takes them a gajillion years to do anything, but but they know this. That's not insulting. Digico is the fastest because it's a company of audio engineers making audio gear, right? Where Yamaha's, you know, they're making lawnmowers and motorcycles too. They got a lot going on over there, and clarinets. Yes. <laughs> what else does Yamaha make? Stereos, leaf blowers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gosh, but they're reliable. Yeah, they are. I I wonder if their leaf blowers are as reliable as a CL5. <laughs> we should put that to a test. <laughs> See which one dies first. You throw it <laughs> off the back of a truck. Which one's still going to work? I think the console would work. Well, I don't know. Maybe the leaf blower would still 
have some juice. That's wonder, funny. I want a road case for my Yamaha leaf blower. R and R will make one. <laughs> That's awesome. It's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Speaking of ridiculous, I think it's time for turn down for MX. Oh my gosh! One of the most ridiculous complaints I've ever read. So this is from actually a Teams subscriber. Uh, so for those of you who aren't in MXU Teams, if you were, you would have access to the MXU Teams Slack channel, which would give you access to these kinds of conversations every day. So our buddy Jake Holmgren posted this. Um, it's a letter, really. It's a, it's a dissertation from a, <laughs> from a church member. And I just want to read for a few minutes. So this was sent to the info at email address for the church. This Sunday, just to give you some context, um, this particular service was being mixed by a volunteer and three other people who were in the room that morning actually complimented Jake on the quality of the mix from this volunteer. So it's not like this volunteer was having an off day or the fact that, that it was a volunteer made it worse than normal. It's just, you know, Jake was there. He said he thought it sounded great in the room. Uh, but she, you know, she did sign her name to the email. So it was an official, like, written letter in, in terms of the email. Um, <clears throat> but she uh, refers to uh, several things in the band, like the organ. But they don't even have an organ. It's a Nord piano. Uh, but anyway, here we go. Good evening. I experienced worship with you today. We were very excited to attend and were invited by a friend. Being our first time, it was different for both of us. Seeing and having been explained all the technology, etc. around us in the worship area, I was both very surprised and disappointed in that the sound engineers did not pick up that the bass drum was overpowering the guitars and the vocalists. <laughs> Even when the electric guitarist was on the screen and evidently playing a solo, it was not hearable because the bass drums and drums were playing too. The backup vocalists were not audible either. I felt sad for the rest of the band when the drums were playing because besides all the drum, all that was heard was the lead vocalist. When the drums were not playing, we had the opportunity to hear the guitarist, organist, and vocals. I enjoyed the lesson and the gospel. However, once the music started again, I had to leave. The bass drum had created a headache and I had to leave. Also, there was a mist about throughout the whole worship time. It could be seen via the lighting. This indicates to me that there is not sufficient ventilation in the building. I questioned whether maybe you missed, M-I-S-T, you missed the worship space. If this is true and there is residue and a mist, your ventilation is lacking. I hope to visit again under better circumstances. <laughs> Thanks, Practical Patty. Oh, my word. I mean... This takes, I, I don't know, I I wish I had her signature because I bet her name is Karen. I'm just saying. It's for sure Karen. Concerned Karen. Can we just yes. take an expository look at this? A verse by sure. verse, if you will. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. I like exegesis. Yeah. Sure. Good evening. I experienced worship with you today, period. Mm. We were very excited to attend and were invited by a friend. Now, if we drop down, the, the one that I need explanation on is this. 
um, seeing and having been explained all the technology, et cetera, around us in the worship area. So uh-huh. did someone, you know, walk them to their seat and give them a, like, yeah, we have uh, large speakers and lights and projector screens. Like, did someone give them a pregame on the technology? That's a good question. Well, maybe because they were invited by a friend, maybe they're sitting there in the pre-service time and the friend is saying, so this might be a little different than what you're used to because we have drums on stage, we have a band, we have a more modern approach, blah, blah, blah. That's true. That's probably it. Yeah. I don't think she got a tour. I don't I don't think the tech director was responsible for walking her through all of the minutiae of their Blackmagic video setup. That's good. Glad. But then... <laughs> She was disappointed in that the sound engineers did not pick up that the bass drum was overpowering the guitars and vocalists. I mean, clearly. Yeah. I, how could you not pick that up? How I mean, could obvious, you not? Right. My, my, the best line for me, though, is I felt sad for the rest of the band when the drums were playing <laughs> because besides the drums, all that was heard was the lead vocalist. Like, I just imagine this poor bass player in the back just playing along going, oh, I'm so sad that nobody can hear me right now. Oh my gosh. You know who else is sad? (laughs) All the background singers' husbands. They're like, you stuck me with those kids every Wednesday night for three hours so you could come to rehearse and I can't even hear you on Sunday mornings. But when the drums were not playing, we had the opportunity to hear the guitarist, organist, and vocals. Yeah. And that that probably made her day. Well, she ha- clearly she has an organist soundtrack playing in her brain. Like that's just her life soundtrack because there there is no organ. Oh my goodness. Well, and then we move to the lighting. And when she talks about the mist in the room, I mean, it could be seen via the lighting. Even yeah. Well, what it what it was? Somebody said this in Slack. That was the um, COVID disinfection spray. Oh my gosh. So they're just uh they're just piping in bleach into the air. <laughs> yeah, somebody says if we can only figure out how to make haze kill the rona, that would be that would be uh, a pretty brilliant solution. That would be awesome. Wow. And maybe she works for the city and she is in the permit office because clearly she knows a lot about ventilation systems. Well, that's true. Maybe she's an HVAC contractor. Yeah. In Boise. Don't even. No, she's actually on the other side of the country. That's true. Kind of the opposite of Boise. So yeah. Next time you guys are in Maine, just beware that sometimes they mist their rooms with stuff that you can see through the lights. So well, speaking of lighting, this podcast episode is it's really like half audio, half lighting. It's a hybrid, if you will. It is, yes. We have a great guest today. Awesome guest good friend of ours, Tony Franson, who is a legend and is doing, well, he'll tell you all about it, but he's doing more production design stuff lately rather than operating a light board. Uh, But just some of his wisdom and his tips are just invaluable. So I know you guys are going to love it. Yep. So enjoy. Daniel Cannell um, goes to town asking Tony lots of questions. They have a good old time and we'll see you on the flip side. All right, everyone, I'm super excited to introduce to you my longtime friend, Jeff's longtime friend, and Daniel's longtime friend, Tony Franson. Tony. Hi, everybody. It's so good to see you. 
Oh my gosh, it's good to be seen. Good lord. Hey, Tony, like, the last the last time I saw you, you were at Passion 2020 in the Mercedes-Benz Stadium on a thrust of the stage sort of midfield looking around with a light meter just making sure like are we good for doors are we good for doors is this all right and it was it was so much fun to be around you in that kind of like high pressure environment and i'm so sad that i haven't seen you since then but it's good to see you today literally the last job i did it's so great (laughs) (laughs) well the last time i saw you was passion 2019 I know, in front of house. I remember really yeah. vividly, actually. <laughs> we we were there for like, I, it felt like a week, and we probably said 10 words to each other because you don't have yeah. a chance to breathe. No, no, not even a little bit. I was just saying, I've got no idea when I saw you last. <laughs> I know, it's been a couple of years, I think. Oh, no. We did uh, we did a show together in San Diego. Oh, yeah. The, uh, Money Dude. Ramsey, yeah. That was it. Yeah, yeah. Dave Ramsey. Yeah. yeah, I got yeah, that was like part of the wave of cancellations at the beginning of the year. We almost went and did one Ramsey show in July. It almost like we were this close. In fact, the venue was booked, everything was a go, and then at the very last second the governor shut us down. And so we couldn't go. Like it was it, we were flights were booked. We were literally I think 5 days away from leaving. Golly. And like all the production wow. trucks had been loaded, like it was all done. This is back in, you know, a few months ago, but so for everybody listening, we were we were going through the list of canceled shows before we started recording. Uh, yeah, yeah. A little little, yeah. little tag into that. Yeah. Talk through who has who has work, who doesn't, what's going on. Yeah, it's been fun. It's been really really fun. Um, okay, so Tony, you're here because we all think you're one of the best lighting designers in the world. Yep. So we have a lot of listeners out there. Thousands of churches are listening to this, and all of their lighting sucks except for the one that Daniel used to work at. So. <laughs> We're here to help them. <laughs> in one in one sentence, how do they fix it? Yeah. 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 Um, Why don't you take a minute, tell everybody who you are, what you do, how you got started in all this, and and all that. Yeah. Well, guys, uh, I am a lighting designer. Have been for about fifteen years. Let's call it maybe almost twenty years. Good lord, man! And then for the last number of years, I've been kind of more focused on the production design end and overseeing, you know, large scale productions. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's been quite a journey. I, I, I started out doing youth conferences and traveling with boy bands and it sort of grew into what it is now. And now I'm sort of on the, I feel like in a lot of ways I'm on the back end of it. And I've been in, in this weird way, I've become the old man in the group, which is such an odd thing because there's been so many talented young guys that have come up around us. And, uh, you know, I'm approaching four, dare I say it 40 now, I'll be 40 next year. And, uh, so there's all these like young 20 somethings just raring to go. And so I've, I've kind of gotten to step back a little bit over the last number of years and start and, and sort of help guide guys that are wanting to learn more, wanting to grow, uh, wanting to get better at their specific craft, whether it's programming or design. And um, I've kind of stepped into sort of that type of a role. And along with that, I get asked to come in and design these shows and then sort of oversee people that are, that are younger, that are trying to really make a name for themselves. They're super eager. And so that's been a a ton of fun. Um, Passion was very much one of those kind of things. Like, you know, they, they have some unbelievably talented guys that circle around that camp. And so 
you know, I think the main thing is just to keep all of that focused and on an end goal. And so they've asked me to, you know, they asked me to come in last year and just kind of get it focused. That was the main thing. And, but yeah, work with those guys and make sure that they get an opportunity to, to shine. And so I really love that. I love having the opportunity to, to see, you know, the next generation come into place and to like succeed and do really, really well. So I feel like I'm doing my job really well if I set them up all up for success, you know? And so, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of where I am now, I guess you could say. I still get out and I'll program the occasional thing and I don't do a ton of that anymore, but uh, a lot of my work is in the office designing things and then I'll go show up and make sure it gets built correctly. And that's kind of the role, you know? Well, for the record, yeah. that's why I'm, that's why I suggested you on the podcast. I'm tired of being the old guy. So like, <laughs> we'll, we'll at least bring another one in. You're still older than him, barely. Actually, Dan, Daniel had a little bit of a jump on me. He he had been working with Scott for a while whenever I met him, and then he was he was doing third day back in the day. Mm-hmm. But we used to show up on the same festivals together, like back in the early 2000s. And mm-hmm. I mean, I learned a lot from Daniel. Daniel was the punt king. He could show up with 10 minutes to doors and make a show out of nothing. And because uh, that's, that's all we had was nothing. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like here's some park hands and some cyber lights. Go nuts. Yeah, uh, well, thinking about this podcast, I was actually trying to remember. I think it was at Carowinds where you rolled in with a Vista, and it was the first time I'd seen a Vista. And yeah. you showed me around on it, and I was like, "Yeah, that's that's pretty amazing." And I had just kind of started getting to MA at the time. Yeah, and yeah. So we kind of you both took, both you went took back the and right path. Too. No, I'm just well, you know, <laughs> eh, temporarily. I don't know, man. I'm 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 you know me. I'm not a Vista guy, but it's got its place. So yeah. Well, I've, I've now made that full circle and, you know, the, one of the, this random conversation, but one of the, one of the weirdest transitions I ever had to make was going from the Vista over to the Grand May. Um, you know, if, for those listening that know anything about the Jans Vista, a lot of churches are still using the Vista software and they've now been bought by another company and they're, they're doing well, I think still, but they don't make full size consoles anymore. As far as I know, they just make like PC wings. And one of the hardest transitions was coming from the Vista console over to the MA. I took on an event, um, lighting a very large building that they could not handle the parameters on a Vista. Hey, hold on, hold on, hold on. It was the Empire State Building. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For the record, <laughs> yeah. it was the Empire State Building it's in right the holiday in my, season. It's, it's, yeah. it's right here. As very large buildings go, it definitely qualifies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Can be, you can be humble, but we're going to call you out. Okay, fine. So... Yeah. So I was lighting a large building and it had a lot of lights. I mean, the call was like, I have, I have a building with 3000 and this is going to sound silly now because we do this stuff all the time, but like back in the day, this was a ton. And this was like almost 10 years ago. And the call I got was, Hey, I've got a building with 3000 led lights on it. And do you think you can program that and sync it to video files? sure yes the answer is yes and you know when when the right designer called it was it was this guy mark brickman who is he's a legend in our business just some designer yeah yeah he did used to do all pink floyd stuff and was involved in the wall and you guys know some of that story yeah wow yeah so some of the biggest i would say some of the most groundbreaking touring things back in the day you know before daniel and i were even born probably um you know, Mark was out there creating these, these massive spectacles. And so he called and just asked if I could control it. And I, 
and I called Jans and I said, cause I had a really good relationship with them. And I called them and I said, Hey, would you guys be up for doing a big project with me? But we might need a little software support on the back end. And, and I think, I think we had finally reached a cap of what the hardware could do. And they said they might be able to do it, but they needed more time. And it was just kind of this whole thing. And, and MA was ready. They had already been doing this kind of stuff all around the world, the Olympics and all kinds of different things. And so when I called them and talked to them about it, they were like, we're ready to go. We can do it. There was some custom, um, there was some, there was a custom protocol. It wasn't custom, but it was a protocol that the Jans did not speak. And the MA had just begun to support this protocol to control all the lights. And so we almost use it as a beta testing opportunity to test this protocol with MA. And it all ended up working really well. But boy, oh boy, you know, taking control of that many lights and doing it all in previs. And at the time, previs was not what it is now. Um, so it was it was not easy. It was not an easy task because we were taxing the limits of what all the technology could do in a virtual world. And so it was a it was a complicated project. We ended up getting it done. And it ended up being very successful. We got to do a, a midnight, a 3 a.m. test one night. Um, and we basically got the owner of the or the owner of the building and his like head real estate guys all met us on this other building that was adjacent to the Empire State Building. We went up. It was, uh, it was thanks, Thanksgiving Day Parade was the next morning. And so it was the night before Thanksgiving Day Parade. And we went up on the roof of this other, of this adjacent building, and they said, "Listen, we have to do these tests in ten second increments because we have every camera from every news station in the world focused on our building. Like they all look at this building, and if they see anything happening up there, they'll go live with us, and we don't want to spoil the surprise." And wow. so we had to do it in the middle of the night, you know, on on a side of the building that wasn't. Um, they knew there wasn't a, as many cameras pointed at that side. And so we went to that side of the building and I remember I was with Darian Coop, who's great now, one of the top programming guys out there and doing all kinds of big stuff. Um, Darian and I were working on this together and uh, Darian stayed in the empire state building and I was in the other building and we got on the phone and we, and I, we had created this test sequence of all of just sort of small glibs of some of the effects we were going to be running through the building just to make sure that things were coming up in order and, you know, all of that. And, uh, and we just started stepping through the effects and it was just like mind blowing to see it all happen. Like for the very first time, it was like, wow, I'm, this is like history. They had had, yeah. you know, on the floor where we were set up with all our control station and everything. It was, it was the 72nd floor. It had been completely gutted and all the old lights, um, were up there from like the 1940s or whatever they installed them. Very old, uh, uh incandescent lights. And they would put these plastic gels over them for different seasons. They had red and green and blue, but the very huge disc gels that they would just set up. And we're talking, these things were probably four foot in diameter. So just massive, right? And they were replacing all of that old technology. There were men that would come up, their jobs were just to come up there and change these gel discs out. And, um, you know, old New Yorkers that, you know, had been around forever. And, um, and we were coming in there and for the very first time, modernizing what you could do up there. And so it was really, it was really special. That was a really neat moment. But that was the transition that I made from Jan's Vista over to Grand Bay. 
I don't think I ever knew that was your first one. That's yeah, crazy. very first show, very first thing I'd ever done on an MA. And I flew the moment I got the call from Mark, I flew straight to LA, like literally within a few days. And we had had about a month or two lead time on this. And so I basically flew straight to LA, did a week of a, a week of learning there, and then flew back to Nashville, started working on the plan. And then we flew up to New York to like get started programming. Like it was all this like bang, 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 bang. And very, very nerve wracking because we didn't know if we could do it. We also fed media servers and um, video files back into the MA over Artnet. So we built a whole video map. And so we could like play video content and it would make the lights react. And it was just a wild, wild, wild thing. And Darian was mostly familiar with Vista also, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. At that time. Yeah. So Darian's role in all of that was to build the pixel maps because it was just too much for one person to do the pixel map. And at that time, I think things are very different now. Like we could, a guy could probably do all this, but at that time it had never been done. And so we were on a tight timeline. So like I, I asked Darian if he'd come up and like do the pixel mapping in the video software, we were using Hippo V3 for all that. And it took to display it all correctly. I think it took like six hippos or something it was something silly you need like a server farm just to get the dsp you needed yeah. to pull it off yeah and we were really concerned about crashes because we didn't want to fail the first time out and so we had doubles of everything too so it was like we didn't just have six servers we had 12 right and we didn't just have like a console we had three you know like we were like really stacked um because we just couldn't fail we didn't we didn't want to we didn't want to let the people of new york down you know, they were all listening. Everybody in New York was had it had been advertised for a number of months leading into the event to listen on the radio uh, to a light show that would be synced to the music. And so every radio oh. station in the city, it was like going to a fireworks show on Fourth of July. It's like one of the, one of those kind of deals. So if you were in the city at that time, you had heard the advertisements via the radio and the television. Live Nation was involved, and they had blasted it out to everybody, and they took over all the stations in New York to play this two song thing by Alicia's. And so that was, that was sort of a history making moment, but that was also why we had to use the MA because it was just such a, you know, it was, it was rock solid and it could do all that. It was able to, at the time, it just, they beat, yeah, they beat everybody to the punch, which was really cool. So, and I think Vista's come a long way since then. Now they can, now they can take on a little bit more, but I mean, we're talking. I know they're listening right now, and they're like, "Whoa, well, we can <laughs> do that now." Yeah, yeah, I'm sure <laughs> now. Yeah, yeah. When you said nowadays, you know, a guy could just do all this. I just want to clarify: not just some guy could do any of this. So <laughs> yeah, it true. takes a particular kind of guy <laughs> yeah, who yeah. could pull that off, and yeah. you were definitely one of those guys. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I was a weird one. You know, ten years ago, I was really into the technology and really eat, eat. I ate it and I breathed it and I slept it, you know, it was my whole life. And, um, but I think it's guys like you and others who are like you that have pushed the technology, you know, you, you push things to its limits and then a manufacturer or another designer goes, Oh, what if we could do this? And what if we could do this? It's like, you're, you're helping to ask and answer each other's what if questions. Yeah. And, you know, we have a lot of guys around our circles that are really good at that and provide just that push that each other needs to continually get better. And then now that you're committed to pouring into the guys who are coming up behind you, 
because they're they're asking those kind of questions too. You know, the the Chase Halls and the Alec Takahashis of the world are going, oh hey, what if we could do this? And you're able to go, yeah, you know what? We did this thing back then that I know that if we did this and this and this, we could probably push you further than we ever thought we could go. So yeah, yeah. it's I love that whole kind of cycle of yeah. things, the way that works and, yeah. and mentoring in general, but then specifically with technology, it's like, man, the opportunity is so huge. Yeah, no, you're right. And, and honestly, that's, that's kind of where I feel like my, my new calling is in this business is to be, to be a supporter of the guys that are going out and doing the, the big things that, you know, maybe they're not quite fully ready yet, but, but they're almost there. And I feel like I've, I've had a number of guys in my life over the years that have helped me get to where I'm at. And, you know, Daniel, even at times has been one of my guys where I call and be like, man, I, you know, I need, I need help with this. I don't know what I'm doing. Or Scott Moore, for sure. Andy Deming. Even with my bad answers, you still made it through it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hardly. Uh, but no, like Scott Moore and Andy Dunning as well. Like, I mean, those guys, those guys were the guys leading the charge back in the 90s and the late 80s. And we just sort of stepped into the roles, you know, in the next decade. And so I think there's a whole nother set of those guys that are, you know, Brian Vaughn, I'm a huge fan of that kid. And I mean, he's doing everything right now. He's just, you know, even though there's nothing, even though there's nothing going on, he's still doing it all. <laughs> yeah, we were texting right before the podcast. He's, he's jealous. He's not on this one. So I know. I love that guy so much. So you know, we, we'll get him in the next one. I, I, we, we've been talking a lot throughout this time. We probably talk every week or two. And he, he said to me, he's like, I think I'm going to go to flight school. <laughs> what? I, was, I was like, yes, do that. And I actually would love to do that too. So I think I'm going to do it next year, but he did it this year. And I was like, tell me how it goes. Tell me if you think like I could handle it. Cause I'd like to get my pilot's license. I think that'd be awesome. And he got so, married two weeks ago. He should like just chill for a little while. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, but <laughs> all for like the last number of months he's been doing ground school. And That's so awesome. he, he, it's, it's like, not a huge commitment. It's like two hours a week, I think, but he's done it. He's drug it out over like a number of weeks, yeah. like 10 or 12 weeks. And so anyway, yeah, he's done. And he was like, dude, you got to do it. It's great. It's not that big of a deal. It's so fun. He's like, and you know, I also, I also was thinking like, Hey, where else do we take these skills? He's like fast reacting skills, driving a live show, right? Communicating to a bunch of ding dongs on the, on the radio. Sorry, I don't want to call them ding dongs. I love all the spotlight guys out in the world, but some of them are really <laughs> difficult to work with. <laughs> you know, and uh, and you know, we we kind of have this like way of being able to like have a cadence and communicate and drive and like do all the things that we do all at the same time. And so it's sort of like flying in a way. You know, you're sitting in front of a large panel of controls, and mm-hmm. I just feel like that would translate, and maybe it wouldn't. I know our lives would be in danger if anything bad happened, but right. Yeah. If one of those, you miss a cue, you kill 250 people. <laughs> the other one, they can't see. Right. A little different. A little different. Yeah. We've all been in situations in shows where we feel like we're building the plane while it's in the air anyway. So I think there are a lot of correlations really. It's, you know, to yeah. your point about Daniel's punt ability and the, the skill that's required in that. It's like, yeah, we're, it's just like flying. Flying without a net, it's, yeah, it's all good. I'm gonna I wait really and see do. how it goes with you and t- with you and Brian, and then I'll uh, I may join <laughs> yeah. for that. Yeah, I probably I don't know if he wanted me to make that public, so sorry, Brian, but I made your flight school public. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I've heard a lot of guys who are using this time to start other things. 
And as yeah. sad as I am that everyone's out of work, that's pretty amazing for like guys who normally, you know, are touring all the time, don't get to have any sort of life. I mean, I got friends that are suddenly having girlfriends that have never had them before. They're like, yeah, I'm home for a while. I met a girl and now I don't want to go on the road or get in a hobby like Brian. And I hate the reason it's happened, but that it's happening is pretty awesome. Yeah. 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 I had, so here, that's random. I had twins over the last year and a half. I've, yeah. I'm a, yeah, I'm a dad of twins now. That's awesome. That's, that's been a game changer, man. Oh man. They, uh, I have one son who will not sleep through the night still. He wakes up at three at three in the morning every night and not because he's sick or anything, just because he wants to play. <laughs> he's just ready to go at three every morning. I have one of those and he's nine now. So but it is, yeah, it's been a, it's been a complete game changer. I have a wife that is literally a pro. I don't know if I could do it without her. She's so unbelievable. She jumps up there with them and I'll go. Do, we split duties. Like we're really big into doing everything equal share, you know. So like, she'll get up one night and I'll get up the other night. And yeah, it's it's challenging. Raising kids is way harder than production work. <laughs> preach, preach. And I know Lee. Lee's got a whole pack at his house, and so I know it's oh, you've yeah. already been there. Oh yeah, totally. We've we've all got them. <laughs> I want to, you know, so when we were uh, leading up to this, I was thinking about you, Tony, like some of the first memories and impressions you made on me i got to tell you this story and then i'd love to hear you and daniel talk about this and how how this applies and and what's important so you showed up at bayside to do christmas in 2010 that's the first time we met and you come in and it's like here's how this goes like if you're bringing in an outside pro for anything they show up they walk in the room and everyone just kind of stares at the stage and it's like hey guys you shake hands and you just look at everything and then you kind of evaluate and then you decide what you're going to do next. But you did something no one has ever done. That you're, The first thing you did was went to where the lighting console was in the booth and you cleaned it and you reorganized it and got your workspace like comfortable. And you spent a lot of time on it. Now, I'll say it was freaking dirty and <laughs> embarrassing. So it needed it. But it struck me that it was like he's like intentionally preparing his workspace and that's something i've taken with me so like i'll show up to rehearsals very early get everything organized clean tidy put things where i need them to go so that it it almost brings me a little more peace it's this weird thing that it does inside of me so talk to me about that okay so this is something i do on every show and still to this day in fact, even on Passion, which is so, you wouldn't think I'd be doing this on a show like Passion, but I actually, I got there to um, previs in Atlanta. We had planned to do all of our previs in Atlanta. And I always go in and I ask them to give me a day, especially on a rig like that, because there's so many consoles and all that. And I built all the looms. I, I create it all. Like, you know, I build the, the setup. And the reason for that is because I know there's only one person to blame if it doesn't work. And I know I've got the most experience getting all working. So especially when you're dealing with some younger crew, it's like, I better just have my hands on it. And I know that's a random thing to do, but it makes me feel like you said, completely at peace. Cause I know yeah. I picked the ethernet cables that are going to be connecting everything. You know, I wired up all the SMPTE lines. I, I loomed all that stuff together. I made sure that this was going to be easy to deploy when we get over to the site so that the programmers can get to work fast. 
um, back in the day at Bayside, the front of house was a little in disarray because there you guys had had a number of different people in and out of there, I think at the time and no yeah. full-time person at that point. And I think that's probably the reason I was there. And it was portable. So it's constantly being moved like on the daily. Yeah. And so it was just sort of this weird, I, I wouldn't normally, I, I wasn't meaning that to be insulting in any way, but I just wanted to make sure it was right before I started working. Yeah. And, and so I basically took it all apart and traced back the lines and had a full understanding of where everything was going. And I tidied up, you know, a lot of the cables that were connecting everything. You know, we get into these really complicated setups where we're controlling video and lighting and receiving information from the band and then communicating through these complicated headset setups that have got like audio coming in and left, right, this and that, and, you know, cues and all this stuff that has to be thought through and it has to be wired correctly or else everybody it's useless. Like half of it doesn't work right. And, and you don't want, I don't want that technology to become useless. It's so powerful if it's used right. So, and then when it comes to controlling video, that's such a visual piece that if it doesn't work right and your connection breaks down in some way, um, it's really noticeable to the audience. And so for me, the whole thing is about the, the end product. And it really starts with making sure that the technology pieces that we have in place, which is just basically think of a lighting console as a computer. We have all these computers networked together, creating kind of a mainframe or a supercomputer. But yeah, yeah, it's, it's what you're creating basically when the shows are big enough. You're creating these like supercomputers that are like all these computers networked together to create this one task, which is producing a live show. And you don't want any of that to get messed up. And so it's very basic for me. It's just get in there and make sure it's all wired right and it's thought through and it's you know it's strain relief. You know, I carry in my work box, every time I go do a show, I carry in my work box, a little spool of tie line. And that's just like one of the things I start with is just making sure everything's strain relieved and not pulling on the connectors. Cause there's nothing that will make you look more unprofessional than when your technology doesn't work. Especially when it's your fault. Yeah. Because an ethernet cable popped out or something, you know, you said it a whole lot better than I could, but you know, for me, it's almost a selfish thing of there's so much of these events that I can't control. Yeah. That my immediate space, I want to control that. Yeah. So yeah, it, yeah. It's clean. It's laid out well. I can function well in it if I'm living there for 16 to 20 hours a day. And if something breaks, I want to be able to look up immediately and with all confidence go, it's not here. And, you know, yeah. It's out there somewhere. If I could go back to Demo World and do the same thing back there, I'd do it. But, you know, as you know, <laughs> none of us get an opportunity to do that. Hopefully we have good enough crew guys that are doing that on there and themselves. But I think that's just it. I want to, I want to know, I want to control my space and know this is, this one area that I have, I have authority over, it, it's right. You know, it's dialed in, it's, it's connected. If something breaks, we know where to find it easily. Um, you know, we even preach this a lot to a lot of the younger guys working with us of, um, you know, if something breaks, you have to be able to fix it right then. So simple organization, simply having the, knowing what cables are there, putting your hands on them, on putting your hands on them yourself, knowing how they're routed, knowing things are labeled right. So it's the middle of the show, it's dark, someone's screaming at you on the headset. You want it to be as simple as possible to be able to duck below the table and go, okay, where's the problem? Oh, well, I know that cable was plugged in before and it's not plugged in now. There's the problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah we're getting into we're getting into these setups now. This is you know since Simpty has become such a popular part of worship music, 
and really all music. I mean, if it's pop music, worship right. music, you know, whatever, whatever type of style it is, it's all of them, you know, except for the, the, the very few, but I mean, we're doing, we're dealing with now I'm like running logic at front of house, you know, I'm not just yep. running a lighting console. I have to understand how to use a DAW and I've got an audio interface and I've got a merge and I've got a, you know, I've got all this stuff happening that I would have never had 10 years ago. I mean, it has completely changed. And sorry, that's a great topic. I want to maybe tee you up to expand on the, the direction I think you're going in anyway. Sure. You, you and I, when it comes to uh, Simti, this is actually one place where I know, I know from, from previous conversations, you and I approach it a little different. Um, you know, I, I come from the camp of we use Simti when we have to, mm-hmm. or, you know, you're something that you just can't operate live. Yeah. Um, from last conversations with you, you come more from the camp of using it every chance you get. And when you actually explained to me why you do that, it was uh, it was an aha moment for me. And I was like, yeah. oh, I get that. And I still don't totally adopt your approach, but I appreciate it. Uh, I get it and I understand why you do it. And in fact, a lot of times I get asked from young church LDs about Simti and how to use it and should they use it and all that. And I actually use you in the story a lot of explaining your approach versus my approach. Um, you want to kind of get into that of, of why? We have to, there's, a, there's the dual role of being a lighting designer. One, especially when you're with an artist specifically, if, when you're doing an event, it's different, you know, like a big event, you're, you're kind of in your own world and everybody respects that. But when you're with an artist, they often, they often want to communicate a lot of detail. And so, and a number of the artists I've worked with have been female artists and they often will have just all kinds of ideas I would never even think of. Okay. Just, they're just, they have a different way of thinking about things. And so I end up having to sort of play a dual role, which is one creating the show and being very technical and being very involved in that piece of it. But then I also have to play the role of like, uh, let me support you and, and talk you through it and, you know, be your other side of your brain and help communicate visually what you're after. Um, so Simpty allows me to get into that role pretty nicely. Um, especially if I've had the time to really set it up on the front end, which if you're doing things right, you will have that time. Um, but you build that into your schedule to where, you know, you go through all the tracks, you get it all locked up and then you can sort of let the show run and then step away and actually observe it as an audience member, sit there, watch it go to different parts of the room, you know, often I'll have a board op that can slip in if I can't, if I'm not sitting out there, but I'll have a board op slip in, just make sure the next song triggers or whatever. And I'll just go watch it from around the room, make sure that everything is going the way it should be. And it's looking the way it should be. And it gives me a great opportunity to make notes. I mean, I love that piece of it. I think it's really fun. Kind of expanding on what you just said, it's a a real challenge for all LDs. Like, you know, you and I are kind of in the same boat. We have the the events where we can have a board operator there. And then, you know, occasionally we still run into the events where you can't. It's one man behind a console and you yeah. just have to go. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things I've always struggled with is making sure I disconnect from the technology. If my brain is having to think about what button I push next on the console mm-hmm. to make the lighting work the way I want it to work, then my brain is not working on how, you know, what is the emotion of this look? How is this going to connect with the audience? How does it, how does it fit in well with the music? Are we saying visually what we need to say? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's kind of a, it's an either or aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I love about your approach is it's kind of the, it's kind of a hybrid of where 
uh, you know, you can let the SMPTE, so the, the tracks with the, the, for anybody that doesn't know what SMPTE is, it's that, it's that annoying sound that hopefully you never hear because you're not supposed to hear it, but we can lay it in with, with tracks or some other music and probably either any three of you guys can probably explain it better than I can. Uh, but it allows all kinds of uh, devices to stay in sync with whatever music we're playing. Right. Um, so the way you you do it, once you get everything programmed, you know either the band can be playing the song and playing tracks from the stage, or you can play the tracks from your laptop out there at front of house and completely step away from the console and get out from behind those screens and those buttons and, and engage again with the actual visual aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I still don't do it completely that way, but I since you first told me about that, that approach has always kind of been with me a little bit, and I've used it on a few occasions. Uh, but I think it's pretty brilliant. Um, that's that's definitely one that was a major aha moment for me in terms of Simti. So, well, thanks. You know, I I got to a point where you know I'm I'm from your camp as well. Like you know, Daniel and I both learned a lot of what we do from Scott Moore, and Scott was the guy who was a drummer at one point in his career, and and he understands all the things that are happening musically on stage, like 100% understands it and, and understands the lingo to the point where we, Daniel and I label our Q stacks even very similar to, to this day, to this day, because Scott taught us both that method of like laying it out the way the song is actually laid out, which is. Wait, go dive into that a little more. Tell me exactly what that is. Okay. So basically basic song structure is every song is going to start with an intro and nowadays they're a lot shorter than they used to be the intros used to be these long meandering things and now they're like okay let's get to it yeah (laughs) but you'll have an intro you'll you'll end up in a verse you'll end up in a verse b section typically a pre-course uh you'll end up in a course you'll end up in a course b section you'll end up in a in a turnaround and then you're going to end up back in a verse again. And then that's going to continue until you get to the bridge. And then there'll probably be a down section of the bridge, a breakdown, and then it'll go back up into the course again. And then you'll play the play through the outro and there'll be a number of hits at the end. And that's typically a song layout, right? So we actually started labeling our cue stacks the, the exact way that a song would be played. And there may be little intricacies when you get into certain sections. Um, and we, and we, we end up adding those cues in and, Nowadays, I put a lot of that stuff on buttons and I'll actually just fire those little intricacies, whatever they might be, little stabs of light or little things that need to happen at the right time. But at the end of the day, I've landed on a course cue. You know, I'll be on that course and then in that course, going to be these five little things that happen. And so, yeah, so that's kind of the, the, the real intricacy of it is that we, we use spaces in the cue stack in different ways and we capitalize things in different ways. So, like the course is always all capitalized like that's like that's like a big thing um if a cue is an auto follow cue we put we put a number of spaces at the beginning of it and then put af if you say you land in a verse right and the next thing that's going to happen inside that verse this is pre-sympty too by the way like before we were all using sympty you would have to have cues that would automatically trigger once you land on the verse so you'd hit the verse and then say 10 seconds later a little stab happens like you know big snare drum hit or something well, you would have that be an auto follow and it would be timed off you landing on the verse in the right and at the right moment. So you'd hit verse and then that next cue would fire automatically. Okay. So we would just label those AF like auto follow. That's all it is. It's an auto follow cue. We don't have to hit it. In other words, that's out of our periphery. So we put a few little spaces at the beginning of that label 
to where if we're reading down the list, we're not seeing that word right there. We don't care about that word because we don't have to hit that cue. Got it. So it's just like a little thing that we used to do. And I still, it's still, it's held to this day. I still do something similar to that. And that's true whether you have time code running or not. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Scott's point in teaching us all that was simply, you know, the way he explained it to me is what if you're on the way out to the console before the show and you trip over at a cable ramp and break your leg and someone else has to step up to the console and run the, run the show last minute? If you're using a bunch of cute labels that only make sense to you, then, then everybody's lost. Everyone knows what a verse is. Yeah, you, you, could have a, you could have a keyboard player walk up to a, a console, and if they can look at it and go, oh, intro, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, breakdown, outro, end, fade to black, then they can at least hit those cues close to when they're supposed to happen. I yeah. guarantee to this day, I could walk up to one of Tony's show, show files and probably run it no problem with zero rehearsals because yep. it's a, there's a, it's, you're using terms that actually make sense with the music. It's a standard. Because the cue the doesn't say the blinky ones right now. It's <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. And and you would be you back in the day. I think this has caught on in our industry a lot. So a lot of people are doing it now. But back in the day, when we, Daniel and I were getting going, this wasn't a thing. No. And and you know you'd walk behind somebody's show file and moving lights were, you know, we were the young guys that started programming moving lights because we just learned it from the beginning. I mean, that's what that's all we had. But the guys that had been coming from pars to this they didn't understand cue structure at all. Like they, they were making it up. They were creating it as for the very first time. A bunch of faders. Yeah. Yeah. So they're like, okay, well I've got this fader that does this flashy thing and I've got this fader that does this. And so yeah, cues would end up ultimately becoming flashy thing and sparkly (laughs) and things that didn't make any sense (laughs) to anyone else except for the guy that knew he programmed, you know? So that's all changed. We did away with all that. You know, we, we tried to make it to where it, it was, it was, it made sense, you know? Okay, so I've taken something from you, the way you use timecode and lighting, that I'm doing an audio now. Okay, but yeah, go. Corey Edwards told me about it. He's yeah. like, yeah, check out this Love way Corey. that Corey um, builds his cue sheet. He runs timecode and plays the song, and then as he's listening to it, enters in a cue marker. Yeah. So that way you don't yeah. have to just go build them all and then assign them to timecode. You're just right. building it as it goes. Like, oh, there's one. And then you can scrub them and move around back and forth. But that's just a quick way to go. Okay, there's my, you know, 100 cues for the whole set. I've got those. And then you go back through and then update all of them. Is that right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So same thing works for audio in that sense. It's like, well, I've got these five songs and I want, I'm going to use time code to trigger effects. And then I'm just going to listen to it and I'll go there, mark that one, mark that one, mark that one. Corey's sort of an interesting, you know, he... I know he's a friend of the show and I, and I love Corey to death. He's an interesting bird in that he can kind of do anything. He's one of those weird ones where he was never told. Yeah. He was never told like, Oh, you need to be an audio guy or a lighting guy. He was just like, well, why can't I do it all? And so he just, he, there was no limit ever put on him. And so he just never knew what that was. And so he just did it all. You know what that freak's doing now? (laughs) All of it. No, no now he has a <laughs> mixing studio in his house and he's mixing elevations live live audio <laughs> stuff now also and other bands so now he's yeah. turned into a studio mixer yeah yeah good for, and nobody you know he's so well suited for all of those things yeah yeah you know, it's a good it. thing he's, he's not he's, also he's, strikingly attractive or i might be jealous of, all, of him <laughs> right <laughs> yeah but those biceps come on guys yeah yeah <laughs> 
You know what I love though? I love I love that all of this is tied to musical terminology too. I think yeah. you know, we've mm. talked to our guys a lot about how um how important it is as a mixer to think in terms of music. And I love hearing you say that that's true for you guys as lighting designers and directors as well is if it doesn't tie to the musical moments of the song and the emotion of the song, then why are we doing it? So if our cues, whether they're um, snapshot and audio in the mm -hmm. console or whether it's a cue stack and lighting, the mm -hmm. fact that I know how this chorus builds, I know where these hits are, I know what the build into the bridge is going to feel like, I know how the turnaround is going to lift at this point. It's like mm -hmm. we have to know the songs in order to really make it effective emotionally the way it needs to be. And I think that's true for audio and lighting and video. All the disciplines are better when they think in terms of music. Absolutely. It's, it's really funny once you start down the path of programming with that style that you start to realize that a lot of music is very similar. And yeah, when you have to, one cool thing about doing it this way and also a downside, but one cool thing about doing it the way that we kind of learned is that we know we can get through a show if we build a if we build an intro verse course bridge outro we build those five cues we know we can actually get through a whole set if we just build 10 cue stacks with those five cues in them and make sure the looks are a little bit different we know we can get through a show like because that's what we used to have to do back in the day when you'd roll in you know where we came from where daniel and i came from we didn't carry consoles like Everybody, and now it's easy for them to carry a, a laptop and a wing. That didn't exist back in those days. And so we would show, I know Daniel carried a hog for a little while. He was like one of the few, but, <laughs> but, but I would actually show up, you know, with my artists and, and it was like, okay, well, whatever they got there at the festival, we got to make, we got to make our normal show happen. And so here we go. How do we do that? And, um, so we got used to building the, the five, the five stack the five Q stack songs that who cared what the music was doing or any of it. So that's where the downside is, is like, it's yeah. all about the music. Don't ever, if you're lighting music for a living, don't ever get away from the fact that it's all about that music. Like that is the number one point to drive home, <laughs> you know, pay attention to what's happening on that stage. Yeah. That's through good. all that. How often do you have to uh, also have to run on two consoles? That's another thing that guys nowadays will just never understand is the LP 2000 in one hand and the, yeah. Uh, uh, oh gosh, what was that? Thing the hog or the, or the Avalite pearl, pearl, yeah, or whatever, yeah, whatever the flavor of the day. It forced you to understand the music better because you had to sit there and just know it intimately yeah. to be able to to stay with it. Yeah, I'd walk out to front of house and I'd be like, "Okay, where's my set list?" I get the set list and I mark on there. Okay, this song is for pars is going to be red and for mm -hmm. movers is going to be, you know, sparkles or whatever. You know, it'd be terrible. Wow, those those days. <laughs> so. I put uh, I put Josh Beard on the spot with this one the other day, and yeah. uh, I think we're probably getting close to closing here in a minute. I'm going to put you on it with you. You've talked about how much you, you know, you're, you're loving working with young guys nowadays, and it's dude, that's awesome because it's uh, you know, especially with you and I kind of coming up through a lot of this together. I, I love seeing where we're both getting to be now. It's you know, in some ways, I feel like we're getting to be the Scots to to some of these younger guys, and it's an honor. Those are to get big set, shoes, you know, bro. They are big <laughs> shoes. That's where I go. I think you know, I, I, that's where I know. I, I know you'll identify with this. It's it's an honor to kind of get to, to be a little bit of that. And um, so with all that, that being said, man, is there anything that comes to mind where you're like, you know, 
this is something that I learned early on that I'm really glad I did, or is this this is something I wish I'd approached differently or maybe knew earlier on? You know, there's a there's a lot of of young church LDs that listen to, the, to these podcasts and, and follow MXU, and we we've talked about this before on the podcast. One of the cool things I see now is that you know when you and I were coming up, you didn't come out of the church market into the mainstream. It just didn't happen. Um, you know, normally if you ended up working in the church market, it's because you couldn't really cut it in other places. Mm-hmm. And to get to see all these amazing young dudes now coming out and, uh, you know, coming out of, of church production into these, these main roles. I mean, we mentioned Brian Vaughn earlier, we've mentioned Alec, you know, a lot of these guys, um, not only are they able to do it, they're, they're sought after because they have good attitudes. They have like, mm-hmm. they know how to work with people they, they're, they're enjoyable to be around. Um, so that being said, for a lot of the young guys listening to this one, you got any, any points, any things you wish you had done different, any things that you're glad you did the way you did, any, any things that have just stood out to you about your career that you're like, hey, this is, a, this is a pearl of wisdom that you can really build on? Keep your mouth shut. It's that easy. That's a good Keep one. your mouth shut. Yeah, don't, don't overdo it on your opinion. You know, you're, you're there to provide a service. You're there to be a supporting role. You are not the show. And that is such, that was such a hard, I got that beat into me, man. Like I, I thought it was all about me for so long and it's not, it's just not. And I know that we get to have the biggest budget out of the whole show typically, but like, it's just not about you. I think that comes from just the fact that you get the most truck space. And so you get that in your head of, (laughs) well, we must be the most important because we take up all the trucks. Right. It's really easy. (laughs) It's really easy to get that, to get that all out of order in your mind. But the biggest thing that I can tell the young generation coming up is remember that you're a supporting role and you're there to make either the event or the artist that you're working for or whatever you're lighting look the best it can, but also you're there to support those people's dream and their vision. So it's not about you. There's always someone upstream. Yeah. And they're going to have other opinions. And just remember when you stand up on that hill and then they decide to fire you, that's where the rubber meets the road. So just, just keep your opinions to a minimum. Obviously when you think something's right, don't be afraid to say it, but say it in a kind way, in a leading way. Don't be the one going, it has to be this way because be the one going, I think it would be really best if we tried this because it'll end up on this. We'll end up on this outcome. Um, but man, I got that all out of order for a, a while. And I wish I had, I wish I had, I wish I hadn't, you know, I think that's my number one regret in my career. You know, Brian Vaughn is doing so well because he is, he gets that by a thousand yeah. And he gets that he's supporting, he's not only supporting the artists he works for, but he's supporting, you know, the designer he works for. And it puts him in a whole new role. And he's gotten all these opportunities because he's kept his attitude and his, and his mind right. So I think if you can do that, the sky's the limit. That's That's really good. Good stuff. Sorry. Sorry if I was being too real. (laughs) No, no that's, that's awesome. terrific. Perfect. No, that's that's the type of stuff people need to hear. You know, they get caught up so much in the technology and the gear and the the nuts and bolts and which console is going to make me an amazing LD. But it, you know, at the end of the day, it's stuff like what you're talking about that really yeah. separates. You know, the people who do well in this business and the people that go far than the ones that don't. So no, that's 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 an awesome awesome pearl. I'm going to put you on the spot with one more, and then uh, I'm going to shut up for the rest of the podcast. So uh, hands down, you are the best 
CAD graphic designer I've ever been around. Hundred percent. Your 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 vector work stuff is a work of art. Um, you know, so with that in mind, I think we need to host a Tony Franson led VectorWorks training session over at DC Pro since you're only two hours down the road now. Uh, you think we can make that happen? I'd love it. Love All it. All right. Yep. I'm in. We're going to come film it so that it can be part of the MXU Now library. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Heard it here first. We're going to make it happen. I'd love. I'd love to share anything I know. I mean, yeah. There's a. It's it's a pile of stuff. But yeah, I'd love to help in any way I can. We'll uh, we'll set up projection screens on the wall in the warehouse, LED walls. We'll have CAD stations all over the place. We'll make an Sounds awesome great. couple days of it. But yeah, let's do That's it. That's awesome. Oh man, I'll be like I'll be like nerding out. <laughs> let's Love do it. it. Perfect. The other thing that's occurred to me is that uh, this podcast, in a lot of ways, has been six degrees of Scott Moore, and so we need <laughs> yeah. to have Scott on the podcast too. Because what you guys don't know is that the last live event that Lee and I did, Scott was the production manager on. Because right. it was the big Chick Fil A event on the cruise ships, and so oh, yeah. we worked with Scott, and that was the last live thing we did. So um, we need to have him. So Scott, if you're listening by chance, um, you're officially on the hook for coming and talking to us about the legendary status that is Scott Moore. But only if Tony and Daniel are here too. Like it just needs Done. to be them, like telling crazy stories. Absolutely. Done. Oh, that'd Done. be great, guys. That would be Dude, like a that, dream. I would love that. That would be pretty amazing. I will say I've already laid the groundwork with Scott a little bit. He said he's interested, so I don't think it's going to be hard to happen. But here's well, now it's you know, public, so he has to. It's he he's has probably to. got a little time right now too. Like he's not yeah, as busy yeah. as usual. You know Scott better than that. <laughs> yeah. Come on, he's found yeah. something to stay busy with. No, this this is for those of you like listening that are going. Who is this Scott Moore guy they keep talking about? Uh, you know, some of you may know him, some of you may not. But here's what I will say: If you're doing production in the church world, whether you realize it or not, you've been somehow affected by Scott Moore. You know, he was a pioneer in a lot of what all of us are doing. A lot of the people who maybe you look to as leaders in the community now have some way been affected by Scott Moore. Um, so that is one where, I, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, he is, you know, lighting, audio, video, whatever. Uh, he is just a, a pit of, of wisdom on this stuff. So that'll be a good one. For well, sure. Let's make it happen. That's awesome. Love that. Well, meanwhile, Tony, it's been so great to have you here today. We're We're just excited to see you, first of all, but... Um, man, the wisdom that you shared is great, and I look forward to that video shoot when we can talk VectorWorks. I love it. That, awesome. Guys, it's been an honor. Thank you so much for having me. Well, that was great. I love I love hanging out with Tony. Every time we get to see each other in person, obviously, it's, it's just awesome. Um, but I, I do think we need to get on the Scott Moore train, yeah. figure out how to have Scott on the podcast, because... Obviously, he's a major influencer to a lot of people who grew up in this industry, and he was a great mentor. So um, we need to reach out to Scott and get him get him to join us. Yep. And speaking of future stuff, we're working on a special guest right now, someone who we've talked to some guys in this group before, um, but we've made contact recently. I think you guys are really going to think this is interesting. Um, it, the guy is an audio engineer for the United States Army. So the army has a band and his role- Army has many bands. Has many, actually. many bands, yeah. Um, but his job is being an audio engineer for the army. So that should be a really cool interview. Can you imagine like part of uh, your training as an audio guy is to go to basic training for the, for the military? Right. You have to uh, basically make it through boot camp in order to mix. Yeah, and every year you have to meet some uh, physical requirements. 
I actually got an email from him today. Oh, great. We're going to we're gonna make it happen this week. We're going to record nice. later on in the week. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, but he is also going to, he's going to be joined by the, the Sergeant Major, who is the technical support group leader. So, okay. So the Army has a TD. Army has a TD. That's So incredible. we're going to hear about the gear and the deployment of all that gear and how it's, uh, you know, they're all logistics experts. So... I love. I can't wait to hear about their systems and the flow of everything. And they're in DC, right? Yeah, dude. We have to get out there and hang with these guys. I know it'd be so great. Oh yeah. After November third. Yes, which is not very far from now. It's next week. Yeah. So speaking of lighting, I just got to give a quick shout out to our buddy Van Metzke, who, in the spirit of turned down for MXU, posted a comment from a bulletin the other day it's a screenshot that says here's one suggestion that would make x church the coolest place on the planet apparently they attended the 5 30 p.m service she says on sunday mornings only open up the shades jesus is the light of the world not the prince of darkness <laughs> so for those of you guys who are um enjoying the lighting content in our podcast and the mxu now videos that have to do with lighting just remember you know, sometimes you have to focus on the light of the world, not the Prince of Darkness. What a great way to wrap it up. <laughs> All right, folks, we'll see you next time. As always, it's been super fun. Can't wait to talk to you next time, Lee. We'll see you. All right, see you.